Welcome to this podcast by Global Church. We are a church planting movement wanting to reach cities from here to everywhere, one to everyone. If you want to find out more information, check out our website on www.globalchurch.co.uk. So let me recap from last week. If so, if you weren't here, um, and if you were, you've probably forgotten. So the first point was it's not what you've done, it's who you know. And it's all about who we know. See, what we've done in life really stands for nothing. We found that out last week. All our good deeds, all the things where we thought we were being really good, it's, it's worth nothing, really, in terms of our salvation. It's not that good deeds are bad. It's just that it doesn't save us. We can't save ourselves. We need to know Jesus. The second point was what is religion. Um, and it's a set, really, of, of man-made rules. Religion was what the Pharisees introduced in, um, in the New Testament. And they introduced a set of rules and laws, and they kind of squared everything off and says, if you do this, if you do that, you'll be fine. Um, and if you basically step in line with us, you'll be okay. And then Jesus came out preaching all this other stuff, and they're like, they're trying to get rid of him, basically. And then the third point was, it doesn't matter whether it's a pebble or a brick, either way we need saving. I used the analogy of a, a windscreen, um, of like my windscreen, when it got a little chip in it, uh, and it needed to be fixed. Because if it's not fixed, that chip will spread. And it's like sin in our life. It might be very small. It might just be a little thing that's hidden and no one else sees it. And we all look perfect to everyone else. We all look like we don't sin, but we know we do. We've got those secret little things. And so that little chip can then cause um, fractures and stuff in our life. Um, and I said, if it was just a brick that went through the, the windscreen, then you'd know straight away I need to get this fixed. And this week, um, I've got a new car analogy for you. I feel like a mechanic. And uh, so this week, I don't know if like God's trying to tell me that you didn't quite learn it last week, so I'll give you a new analogy this week, is uh, sometime on either Friday, uh, well, Friday at some point, um, we got a slow puncture in one of our tires. And so, don't feel too sorry for me, but uh, you know, it'll need to be fixed. It'll need to, you know, we'll need to change it. I'll do that later on. But the, the point is that a slow puncture, you think, oh, the pressure's gone down a little bit. I can still drive on this, it's going to be fine. But at some point, it needs fixing. Now, if tires had been slashed, then you'd know straight away, oh, I need to replace it. Just another analogy, it happened to me this week, bit of a, you know, um, just getting it off my chest. Just getting it off my chest. So, I've got a little phrase for us, well, a little kind of statement, really, to, to kind of guide this message through, and that's this. In order to move from one thing to another, we should first acknowledge where we begin. Sounds really wise, doesn't it? I made that up myself as well. So it's like before we had sat-nav in cars, so now we've got sat-nav. It changed my life completely because my sense of direction is terrible. Before sat-nav, we had to do this thing, didn't we? If we were going on a long journey, you had to go online onto AA Route Finder or whatever it was, and you had to print out your directions for your trip. And you had to say, right, I, I, you know, I'm going to Blackpool, or I'm going to Edinburgh, I'm going wherever, and you had to print off your directions. But in there, sat-nav now, you just know exactly where you are, um, because the satellites tell you. But then you had to tell it where you're beginning. See, if you didn't tell it where you were beginning, you couldn't get to your destination. So if I'm going to Newcastle, I know from York, and this is how good my knowledge is, I know I have to travel north, yeah? But if I lived in Edinburgh, I'd have to travel south. So this is the thing with, with uh, you know, direction in life and knowing where we're going to, we have to know where we first begin. And so if we think as a church and if we think as a, an individual, you think I'm already at relationship, 
I've got no religion in me, then you won't get there because you're not dealing with the source. You're not dealing, not with the source, you're not dealing with the problem. A few things we need to understand is that good works are not bad, but we can't rely on them. So God has good works lined up for us. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God's got good stuff that he wants us to do. So it's not that we're against good works. We're not, you know, it's like, yeah, there's loads of good stuff that we do as a church and that we will do as a church and that you will do as individuals. And it's not bad, but we can't rely on them for our salvation because good works don't make us good. Matthew 7:11 said, If you then, and this is Jesus being really compassionate, though you are evil, know how to good good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And Jesus is pointing out here that as you know, sin has affected us all. So we're all essentially evil. Which sounds really bad. You know, I'm not saying we're all wicked, conniving people who are trying to rip everyone off, but we have, you know, you try and do good for a whole day, you'll realise how bad you really are. <laughs> So I want to um, go through a, a story that's in the Bible, and by many people, this has been regarded as one of the best stories, one of the best narratives ever told. Um, there was a recent interview with Guy Ritchie, the director, and he talked about this story from the Bible. He says it's the best story ever told, and it's in the Bible in Luke 15. So first of all, when, you, when you're reading something in the Bible, you need to know who the audience is. So who's Jesus talking to? Is he talking to an individual? Is he talking uh, just to a certain group of people? Is he talking to vast groups of people? And we need to know who's in the crowd. So we find that in Luke 15. So Luke 15, 1 to 2, says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So in the crowd, you've got the tax collectors and the sinners, and then you've also got the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So you've got the people who were, who were considered as like the riffraff, and then you've got the people who were considered like, these guys have got it all together. They've got it all squared off. They know exactly what they're, they're up to, and basically people have to get in line with them. So those are the two, crowd, two groups of people in the crowd. And then Jesus tells this story. He says, there, were, there was a man who had two sons, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Sorry. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And I, I want to pause here a little bit and talk about this story because when he says to his father, Father, give me my, um, my portion of the estate now, he's basically saying to his dad, he's saying, you're going to die soon, so instead of waiting until you die, just give me all the money now. And he, so he's essentially saying to his dad, I wish you were dead because I don't want you. I don't want your estate, really. I just want all your money. I want all the benefits of your stuff 
but I don't want you. And that's what he's saying to his dad. And in this culture, Eastern, um, Middle Eastern, sorry, Middle Eastern culture at the time, that is really disrespectful. To, uh, you know, they had a huge uh, culture of respect back then. So it's, it's really disrespectful. What should have happened, what the father should have said, is he probably wouldn't have said anything. He'd have just beaten the kid up and sent him out of the family and banished him from the family. And now to us, that's a bit shocking, but that's the culture at the time. So when Jesus is telling this story, it's shocking that the father would then say, that's fine, I'll divide up my estate, I'll give you your inheritance now. That wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have happened that the father would have just beaten him and sent him on his way. And when he's saying here, I wish that I was like one of my father's hired servants. He's talking about the hired men. So he's not talking about the servants that live in the estate and live in the house with the, with the father. He's talking about the, the hired men. So hired men basically lived in the villages outside the estate and they'd come in and do their day's work and be paid for it. So he's basically saying, I wish I was like one of them because then at least I could start to repay my dad back because he's given me all this money and I've squandered it, I've lost it. He's come to his senses, he's realised I've been really bad. And he wants to pay his dad back. He wants to come back in, but he's thinking, I don't want to be one of the servants that lives in his house. I don't deserve that. I want to be one that lives out in the villages. I want to come in, I want to do my day's work, and I want to pay my dad back for what I've taken from him. And it says here, so he's got his, and he's got his little script ready. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. I love that, that whilst he was still a long way off, his father saw him. It's like his father's been waiting. It's like his father's on there and he's looking out and he's thinking, I wonder if he'll come back today. I wonder if they'll come back. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son then, with his prepared speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he's ready to say, now make me like one of your hired men. But before he can even say it, his father turns to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. He's basically saying, you're not one of the hired servants, you're my son. You've come back home and I want to I show you that you're my son, so I'm going to put the best robe on you. Now, the best robe would have been the dad's robe. It would have been the father's robe in the house. When they're saying to the servants, bring out the best robe, that would have been his dad's. He's basically saying, you're back in, you're in the family. He puts the, the ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. A little bit of a weird story, but I found myself in an abattoir the other day, um, wandering around on my own. And uh, <laughs> this is a true... Um, and so I, I have a hog roast business for anyone who's thinking, this weird guy. Um, and so I was in this abattoir and I was waiting for the guy to get there um, to get my pig for me so I could feed lots of people. And uh, as, as I'm in there, there's lots of dead animals. I'm sorry if you're vegetarian or vegan. Um, just forgive me in advance for what you're about to hear. So lots of dead animals hanging up. And you know, I get pigs because I run a hog roast business. There's not much mention of hog roast in the Bible, funnily enough. But... Um, so my pig was there somewhere way back. I couldn't quite see it, but I'm seeing all the different animals that are there. And the, the calves, the cows, they're massive. Right? I know that if I, if I cook a full pig, that'll feed about 200 people-ish, right? depending on the size of the pig, obviously. But these, these cows, these calves, they're, they're often like they're cut in half and stuff anyway in, in abattoirs. But 
a beast that size is going to feed at least five, six hundred people. So you've got to understand when he's saying kill the fattened calf, he's saying not just the ones that have been out in the field, the one that we fed, the one that we, we've got ready for a big party. They're throwing a party here for hundreds and hundreds of people. This is the kind of party they'd invite the whole village to. They'd say, everyone come in, everyone, like all the villagers, all the hired men, all the servants, everyone in for this party. And let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So whilst he's far off, he can hear the party. Now you've got to think the whole village is there. He can hear the music and he can hear... That must have been loud dancing, that's all I'm saying. Tap shoes on or something. So he called one of his servants and asked him, What was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. Strange, isn't it? His brother that's been lost has come home and he refuses to go in. He's angry at the situation. You'd think, like, there's a party going on. Surely you'd be happy. Surely you'd be happy that this person's come home and found, uh, you know, they've found the, the kind of sense of belonging again. They know who they are. They've come to the senses. They've come home. And yet he's angry, and he stays outside. And so his father, so the elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Again, something that a, a father at that time would not have done. If somebody refuses to come into the party and the servants come and tell the dad, he's like, oh, just so you know, Frank's outside. He's refusing to come in. He's saying, I don't want anything to do with this party. The dad would have just disowned him and said, right, he's not, he's not part of the family anymore. That was the level of respect that they had. That, that for, a, for a brother to not come in to the party, for, sorry, for a son to not come in to his dad's party was really disrespectful. So both sons, can you see here, they're both sons that have moved out of relationship with the father. They've both moved out. You know, often this story is called the story of the prodigal son or the lost son. And it's really, there's lost sons. There's two of them. And they're both lost. And they're both lost because they're out of relationship with the dad. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Again, not something a dad would do. He wouldn't plead with him. He'd command. But he didn't. He pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. So he doesn't see himself as a son, he sees himself as a slave. He sees himself really as a servant. I've been slaving for you, for you and never disobeyed your orders. I've been the good boy. I've had it all together. I've done everything right. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And he's reminding him of his benefits of being a son because this son's forgotten. He's thinking, I'm a slave to you. I've been slaving away for years. And his father's reminding him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. So it's about two lost sons. The first son is the lost younger son. And he's lost because he's, he's disrespected his dad. He's left home. He's taken all the money. And he basically says to his dad, I don't want anything to do with you or your house. I don't want anything to do with the father, God, or his house. 
the church. This is what the unbeliever or the tax collectors and sinners at the time would have been like. I don't want anything to do with God, and I don't want anything to do with his house. You know, he wasn't bothered about the estate. He just says, give me the money, because then he got it all together and, and he fled to a distant country. And it's like the world. It's like people, like our friends who are, you know, not yet in church, not yet believers, don't know how good God is. It's like they're outside. They're saying, I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with this house. I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with church. And they've gone and done their own thing. But at some point, people come to their senses. So essentially, the son is saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. I just want to enjoy life. I just want to enjoy all the good stuff. But I don't want anything to do with you. And then he comes to his senses. He has a moment of revelation. And he comes up with a plan. He thinks, he understands what he's done. He understands I've just squandered this all. And I need to repay back my dad. But instead of being a hired man, he's welcomed back in a heartbeat. The father says to him, he runs to him and kisses him and throws his arms around him. This son's been with pigs, but his dad doesn't care. He could probably smell it on him, but he's thinking, I don't care because you're my son and you're more important than that. So he's reinstated as a son and heir again to his dad's estate. But then we have the lost older son who's become familiar with the father and his estate. He's come, become familiar with God and his church. He's just become familiar with it over time because he's been in it so long that he's forgotten the benefits of being in church. You know, if I can use the analogy here, because that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying he's been familiar with his dad and he's been familiar with the house over time. And like the church, we've become familiar with God and we get to the point where we now complain because God's not turning up for us. And we forget that he saved us. We forget where we used to be. We forget that we were once sinners. And then we've been welcomed in. We've been washed. We've been sanctified. You know, it's, being a Christian is an amazing thing. But we can forget it when we over-familiarize ourselves with church. And we complain that God's not turning up rather than being grateful that he saved us from eternal suffering and hell. And we think, oh no, but we don't, don't really like to talk about hell because it's, it's a bit full on, isn't it? And you think he's our freaking savior. It's not just a guy that just, you know, it's not just a story in the Bible. I like the word freaking because it's like I can say it with passion and not lose my dignity. Um, but this, this older son, he sees himself as a slave. You know, have you ever found yourself saying, oh, it's just hard work, this church stuff, setting up? Some people are honest, in it? <laughs> you know, you know, I had to go and pick that guy up. It just took ages. I had to go and do this for that person. I had to, oh, it's just hard work being a Christian. It's just hard work being in global. It's not hard work. It's a change of mindset. You know, I've been listening to a book recently, and this guy in it, he, he's, he's talk, he, he recounts a story when he talked to a guy who was in a wheelchair, and he was, he's, um, whatever it is, he's, he's paralyzed, so he has to go around in a wheelchair. And, and this guy says to him, he says, you know, you know, doesn't it annoy you that you're confined by this wheelchair? He says, I'm not confined. If I wasn't for this wheelchair, I'd be bedbound. This wheelchair gives me freedom. This wheelchair allows me to do what I can do. And, and the change in thinking is this. It's not I have to, 
but I get to. No, I don't have to come to church. I don't have to go to a dinner party. I don't have to serve God in, in his church. I don't have to do all this kind of stuff. I get to, and it's awesome. And because I get to, and then other people want to do it because of my attitude towards it. So it's like exercising. People think like, oh, I have to exercise, or I have to, I have to go for a run. Instead of thinking, I get to improve my fitness. I get to, to become stronger. And it, it's just a change of thinking from I have to to I get to. See, this son is, is disconnected with his father because of his self-righteousness and pride. He's disconnected because he's thinking, I, I was good enough, and this other son of yours was not good enough but he's forgotten the benefits. It says in Psalm 103, 1-5, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And these are the benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. And the, the, the key thing in there, all the way through, is praise the Lord, my soul. This is why we worship as a church. That's why we stand and we sing, because we're remembering how good God is to us. Psalm 42, 5 to 6 says, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Have you ever felt like that? You don't have to put your hand up or anything, but when, you know, during the week we used to think, I just feel crap and I don't know why, uh, and just stuff's just happened this week, and, and you just feel like bad and you, you, you're like you know some people it, it's an extreme where it turns into depression where they can't even get out of bed and they can't do anything or, or anxiety and all these horrible things and this is what the psalmist is saying here he says put your hope in God for I will yet praise him my savior and my God my soul is downcast within me so he's saying even though I don't feel good the feelings aren't there I don't feel amazing I don't feel hyped up I don't feel like worshipping. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like smiling. I don't feel like going to dinner party. I don't feel like doing anything nice for anyone. He says, my soul is downcast within me, but therefore I will remember you. And then he goes into from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, which means nothing to us, but he's basically remembering what God's done for them as a nation. He's remembering the battles that God's won. He's remembering how God saved him. He's remembering all the different testimonies that we've got in church, and we've got hundreds of them in this church. And so it's remembering those stuff. Instead of thinking, oh, I just feel a bit rubbish, it's, you know, it's forcing ourselves then to remember what God's done. See, both sons are lost because they're both out of relationship with the Father. And that's the key thing. And Jesus is talking to Pharisees, but he's talking to the sinners and tax collectors as well. And he's saying the problem is they're out of relationship with the dad. Both these sons. And so the audience, remember, is both. It's the tax collectors and the sinners, but it's the Pharisees. And really, the message is to the Pharisees because the tax, tax collectors and sinners turn back to the father, as in the, the, the prodigal son, the, the one who's gone out and spent all his money, he turns back and he asks for forgiveness. He's coming back to the dad. He's coming back to the father. But the older son who's outside, we don't know what happens to him. So how does the story end? Well, we don't know. And that's the frustrating thing about reading it, is because you read it and then you think like, so does he come back in? Does he think like, oh yeah, father, I've completely messed this up. It is about you know, people coming back 
It is about people repenting. It is about people's lives being changed. It is about bringing my friends to church. It is about getting the news out there. But he doesn't. And, and you don't know what happens next. And that's the scary thing. And this is what he's saying to those Pharisees, those people with religion, those people with self-righteousness, the people with pride. Is he's saying to them, do you not see that it is about the lost? He was lost and now he's found. He was dead and now he's alive. So what's your What's the end of your story? See, Jesus told another parable to, in, in Matthew, Matthew 21, 28 to 31. And he, again, he's talking to the Pharisees and he says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. Not the same story, but it sounds similar. He, said, he went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, as in like, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. But later, he changed his mind and went. He's like the prodigal son. He's like, now I'm going to go and do my own thing. But then he realizes and he repents and he turns around and comes back. Then the father said to the other son and said the same thing. But he answered, I will. I'll do. I, I'm good. I'll do the right thing. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. He's talking to the Pharisees here. He's talking to the people with religion. He's talking to the people who think they've got it all right. They've got it all squared off. And he's saying to them, these guys who you think are like riffraff, you think they'll never get in. He says they're entering the kingdom before you. They're sneaking in because they've found the, they've found the secret, which is just repentance. It's just turning back to God. It's just saying, yeah, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize I'm bad. And that's what we all need to do. We all need to realize, we need to come to that conclusion that I am not as good as I thought I was and God is way better than I ever thought he was and I need to change. I need to repent. Romans 12:2. do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. See, John 3.17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And then there's our part. So in 2 Corinthians 5.18-20, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself in Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See, our part is that we, because we've been reconciled to God, because if you've made that decision, if you've said, a simple step of like I believe in Jesus and then you repent of your sins you change your thinking you turn back to God and then you get baptized and then you get filled with his power his Holy Spirit which enables us to make good decisions it gives us the power over those things that we were bound to before those things that we thought we could never I could never escape this way of living that you know I'd, I've tried it all I've done like the prodigal son I've gone out and I've done the wild living and I just think it's not worked for me See, my story is different because I didn't, I didn't do the wild living. I'm more like the older son. I'm more like the son that's, that's done all the right stuff. I've come to church every week. I never had a, a, you know, I never did anything wrong. 
but I did. See, I've got pride in my life. I've got hidden sins. I've got stuff. And, but, but on the outside, I look great. On the outside, I look perfect. On the outside, I look like, oh, I wish, I wish my kids were like Sam. You know, they just went to church every week. They didn't rebel. They didn't go out and, you know, they didn't go to university <laughs> and spend all my money. You know, and we look perfect. We look great. But inside, there's sin. Inside, there's pride. Inside, there's self-righteousness. Inside, there's a point where I need to come to and, and we all need to come to where it's like, I'm not good enough. I need to repent. This message has been powerful for me because I identify with that older son. And I think, but I'm fine. I'm in. I'm in the house. I'm in, you know, I'm in church. I'm fine. I don't need to worry about anyone else. That's been my story. And now I'm changing. And, uh, you know, it's a process. I'll be honest with you, I'm not, I'm not there yet. But it's a process that we all go through, through changing from thinking, from realizing, yeah, I'm in. And I've got all these benefits, but I need other people to be in. I now need to take on that ministry of reconciliation. I need to be Christ's ambassador. And in a way that's not judgy, that's not condemning people, like it says, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. I need to do that now. I need to be that ministry of reconciliation. I've heard it said, people say like, oh yeah, but I'm not an evangelist. It's like, get over your freaking self. Our job is to reconcile people to God. And if we don't realize how good he is, then remember what he's done in your life. Remember where you would have been without him. Think about hell for a second and it'll scare you. Because we need to reconcile people to God. From the team here at Global Church, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please check out our other messages available on the website.